Well, welcome. Good to see you. Welcome to Emmaus Church. My name's Nathan. Happy to see you here today. Um, I'm looking for my little, there we go, looking for my little marker. There it is. Uh, welcome if you're joining us online. Glad that you have. Raise your hand if you like a Bible. I'm going to read a couple passages today. They're a little too long to put on the screen, so it would be really helpful if you had a Bible either on your phone or we can hand it to you. And I'm going to give you the page numbers, so if you're not familiar with how to find stuff, not a problem. We've got page numbers in here. We're going to start in um, Romans, which is on page eight, uh, 782. 782, this book called Romans that Paul wrote. Also, there are notes cards that are important today. Raise your hand if you need a note card. Got a QR code for something later. And if you have comments or you like to hand off contact info, cards like that as well. So anything that you need, ask um, these guys. Thank you, Koa. Thank you, Stephen, for helping out today with that. All right, I want to welcome the incoming sixth graders. Last week, we we promoted our sixth graders into the main gathering, and uh, so I want you to feel like welcome here if, you, if you're here for the first time, whether you're here for the first time and you're 40 or you're in sixth grade, glad you're here. Um, and, and what we want to do is increasingly um, benefit from the presence of the sixth graders, the middle school kids, and we want them to see a full-bodied, multi-generational community engaging in worship as they move out of kids' ministry and into a, a, the main gathering that we do here, um, down here on Sunday mornings. So last week, this is what we did. We talked about why we do what we do when we worship. Like a football game has four quarters. The gathering of historic Christian worship gathering has four parts, and we talked about that last week. We talked about the call to worship, which is what which is what Melissa just did, invited us into this time of worship. Then the delivery of the word is the second traditional part of Christian worship. Then the response to the word, which for us takes a variety of forms. We share news about the community. We pray for one another. We celebrate communion together. And then there's the benediction at the end. Those are the four parts of the Christian worship gathering. This morning I want to focus on the act of gathering itself. I want to talk about this thing that Christians do, we come together. This is one of the fundamental actions of a Christian is that it gathers with other Christians. What's up with that? Let's talk about that. Christians gather typically for worship on Sundays, but we don't just gather for worship on Sundays, right? We gather throughout the week in a variety of forms and ways. We gather to study the Bible together. We gather to pray together. We gather to have meals together. We gather to serve and help and support people. So I want to focus for a few minutes this morning on the act of gathering, on the value of being physically present in any context, in any context, but specifically in the context of being part of the church community, the value of physical presence. About 39 years ago, my family started this tradition of going to the beach for a week in the summer. And um, we've done it almost every year since. And the whole crew goes, like brothers, sisters, now there's next generation, right? There's, there's the grandkids and everything. And I don't know when this part started, but apparently at some point, when some of us were cleaning the house, probably, my mom gathered all the grandkids, which were at that time just little, and she led them in a rousing rendition of the hokey pokey. Remember the hokey pokey, right? Put your right arm in, you put your right arm out, you know what I'm talking about? Put your right arm in, you shake it all about. And then you do the hokey pokey, and you turn yourself around, that whole part. So um, we... <laughs> We, somehow this caught on and it became like the 
benediction at the end of beach week. It's like what the whole family does together right after we lock the doors, everything's shut into the house, and then, and then we just do the hokey pokey on the beach, the whole family. It's hilarious. And my dad sent me a video of it from this last year, and I was going to show it to you, but it is so ridiculous that I didn't think I'd be invited back to Beach Week next year if I showed it to you. So you're just going to have to imagine all the Oates family putting their, uh, you know, their bodies in, their bodies out, the, and shaking them all about. See, everybody's like, this whole front row is like, you, you even thought about that, you jerk. <laughs> so the hokey pokey, who knows how the hokey pokey ends? Do you remember the last part? That's what, even before that. What's the last body part? It's the whole self, right? You put your whole self in, and then you put your whole self out. That's kind of what we're talking about today. The whole self in, right? The value of bringing all of who you are. We typically assume the physical and remind us to bring our mind and our soul and our spirit. Today, I'm going to focus on the physical. I'm going to talk about the value of being physically present. The power, the, the sermon is called the power of showing up. The value of showing up for Christians is rooted in two fundamental Christian doctrines or belief. You can probably relate a lot of things to the value of showing up, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw the value of showing up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to root it in two Christian doctrines. I'm going to get to those in just a second, but first let me remind the sixth graders, the middle school kids, of something really important. And the rest of you can listen in if you want to. Here it is. What we do, guys, what we do is always based on what we believe. What we do always comes from what we believe. If you want to know what I believe, watch what I do. If, you want, if I want to know what you believe, I'm going to watch what you do. Because what we do, the way we act, the way we live, it comes from the way we believe, what we believe to be true about things. And it, and it reveals how deeply we believe these things. If we sometimes do it, we sometimes don't. That means we kind of believe it and we kind of don't. We may say that we believe something, right? But what we do shows what we truly believe. Here's a picture of my son Matthias from summer camp. He's climbing a rock wall. Well, it's, it's, a, it's, like, a, it's like a climbing wall out in the middle of the woods. It's made out of wood. And he's climbing this thing, which is part of what they were doing at camp. My family loves to climb. And here's a video of him reaching the top of this wall. And he slaps the top achieves the goal, and it's super small. You can't quite see it, but he raises his hands and he lets go, which is crazy if you're 30 feet off the ground or whatever that is, right? Why does he let go? Why does he let go of the rope and of the rocks? Because he believes that the rope's actually going to hold him, right? It would, if he didn't believe the rope would hold him, his actions would have shown us right? His actions would have shown us, I don't really believe that my partner's going to hold onto the rope down at the bottom. He's going to lay me down or that this rope's strong enough to hold me. Your actions reveal what you actually believe. Today, I want to talk about the power of showing up. I'm going to talk about the importance of your body being here, of physical presence. Talk about the importance of putting your whole self in, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, but especially in the context of Christian community. And what I want to do is invite us to consider the power of showing up, and I want to challenge us to hold on to physical fellowship, to being together physically, whether in a context like this, Sunday morning worship or a home group or a dinner meeting that you have at your home, 
I want to challenge and encourage us not to let go of this thing called fellowship on a physical level. And what I'm going to show you is two Christian doctrines or beliefs that primarily support this behavior that you've all engaged in here, and many of you online will engage in in another form throughout the week, which is this behavior of showing up, gathering with other people. Now, listen, (laughs) we planned this a couple months ago, and I'm very aware that in this last week, the whole state's on fire with this divisive COVID vaccination, state control, personal responsibility rhetoric. Yes, I know that that's what everybody's talking about and thinking about. And it's created a very difficult context for conversation about pretty much anything. Um, In addition to the fact that there are problems, let alone physical presence. So, yes, we're stepping into talking about physical presence during a week when the concern about physical presence is probably ticking up again. I think there's a lot of issues that Christians need to be addressing. The problem is that we, with the rest of the culture, is we are losing our ability to talk to people about things that we don't agree with or that we don't agree about. It's really important that we understand why we believe what we believe, and it's really important that we understand and do the hard work of understanding why somebody else that disagrees with us believes differently than we do so that we can see it from their perspective. At least this is what we're called to do if we're going to have any kind of a relational uh, relationship with them, let alone a democracy, right? It's impossible to have a church if we don't know how to talk about stuff that's sensitive or that we disagree about. And so as we wrestle with where we stand on issues and how to live in a world that includes other people, I want to offer some thoughts that I believe are related to a whole lot of things, but specifically this conflict that's surrounding us about about health and, and, and gatherings. And my hope is that we'll hold this, the kind of the hot button issues at bay just for a few minutes. Give me some space to share some thoughts, some basic Christian theology that I think will shape the way we live. And if you think you know the direction I'm going with this, do me the, give me the, the, the grace of just suspending judgment for a minute and, and let's have a Let's have, in one sense, a conversation. I realize I'm pretty much the only guy who's going to talk for the next 25 minutes. But consider these things, I'd ask, um, so that we can engage the challenges of our culture and our community with hopefully a deeper understanding of why we do what we do. So with that said, here's a Christian argument for showing up. Here's a Christian argument for physical presence. And I want to urge you to consider this as we navigate the challenges and the realities of our time. For the Christian, the importance of the physical is primarily revealed in two doctrines, the doctrine of the incarnation and the doctrine of the church. God became, the Bible reveals that God became human, literally took on flesh to live and die as one of us. That's incarnation. We celebrate it at Christmas. And then that God in the flesh, his name was Jesus, called people into a communal religion called people into a spirituality with and for others. That's the doctrine of the church. Let me say it again in a little bit different way. Very simply, God loves us, so he came to live with us. That's the incarnation. And then he calls us to love and live with others. That's the church. The two doctrines do a lot in terms of defining Christianity. 
These two are bedrock doctrines of Christianity. The incarnation and the church. The incarnation as a doctrine, as a reality, and the reality of the church reveal a few things about Christianity. Christianity. One, Christianity is revealed to be a physical faith, not just some nebulous concept, right? Not just some idea that somebody has, not just a philosophy. Christianity is a physical faith. Secondly, Christianity is an embodied community. It's not just virtual, and it's not individual. It's not like a Facebook group. It's not like a group chat. It's an embodied community. And third, Christianity is an integrated spirituality. All of our beliefs as Christians are meant to be pressed into all of life, fully integrated into life. There's no personal life, professional life dichotomy in Christianity. That, that worldview doesn't fit in Christianity. There's no, well, that's my public and this is my, pro no, it's just everything. Christianity is an integrated spirituality. Our beliefs are supposed to be pressed into everything. The way we talk, what we say, where we shop, how we shop, what we buy, how we spend our time, how we relate to people that we love a lot, how we relate to people that we don't love a lot. Jesus summarized it like this. When challenged to summarize his message, the law of God, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, people were challenging him. And they said, who's my neighbor? And to answer that question, he told them the story of the Good Samaritan, which is a story about one person who sees another person in need, dramatic, desperate need, and responds to that need, not by distancing himself and going to the other side of the road, which has happened twice already in the story, but by moving in physically, responding to the person's needs, putting, him, putting his whole self in, and addressing the needs entirely with his attention, with his time, with his influence, with his physical presence, with his resources, with his money, the good Samaritan's behaviors reveal his beliefs. And his beliefs are fully integrated. They're fully pressed into his life. They impact everything that he says, does, the way he uses his time, his money. It's fully integrated spirituality. We could summarize Jesus' summary by saying it all comes down to love God, love people. Right? I think that's a great summary of even Jesus' summary. Love God, love people. But let's be careful, and I need, I'm saying this to myself, let's be careful not to uproot that critical ethic, love God, love people, from its physical, real-life context. In other words, don't say love God, love people, and forget about the story of the Good Samaritan. Because that's the example of what that looks like. Jesus' great commandment wasn't a slogan for a sticker. It was a way of living in the flesh. So he speaks to power. He speaks to the power of showing up, not distancing ourselves. He speaks to the power of showing up. And, and to be clear, I'm not saying distancing is bad and nearness is good. I'm saying there is power in nearness. There is power in the physical in showing up, in physical presence. Let's not forget that. 
Right? The earliest Christ-following community was described as being devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And here's what I'm arguing this morning. I want to suggest that the diminished importance of showing up physically and the rise in virtual participation happening everywhere in our culture, especially in the last 18 months, it struggles to realize the Christian distinctive of an enfleshed fellowship. Say it one more time. The diminished importance on physical presence, the rise in virtual participation, it struggles to realize, that is, it struggles to fully capture and even have the capacity to have room for the fullness of the Christian experience, which is enfleshed fellowship, gathered community, incarnation, and church. At the end of the day, there's, what I'm saying is there's just no substitute for being there. Right? I think about the challenges faced in the last seven days in this church. Just this, our church. It has been an intense week for this church. And I think of the dozens of people who have responded to the needs of this community by showing up. By showing up. It did a lot of good to pray for people. It did a lot of good to send notes to people. It did a lot of good to call people. But it did a lot of good. Some of you spent nights in hospitals. Some of you brought food over to people's houses. Some of you sat with people in incredibly difficult seasons. The power of showing up, it's, it's just really difficult to replicate that, isn't it? I think about that kind of power, and I don't want to surrender it. Okay. I happily acknowledge that technology has enabled a form of presence, virtual presence, that enables me to be with my son in Santa Barbara and my daughter in Memphis at the same time through these devices. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so thankful that there's a form of presence that is still very good and helpful, and I benefit from that. I'm, I'm grateful for the ability to meet with people in other time zones, which I do every week. I'm grateful for all of you who are joining us for worship online this morning. Um, from your homes, from your hospital rooms, both here in the area and all around the state and beyond, I think it's incredible. And I readily acknowledge the value of that kind of presence. There is a form of presence that we experience online that is good. I also want to acknowledge that there is a fundament, fundamental limit to that form of presence. They're good as far as they go. The problem is they just don't go all the way, Right? They can't because they're not physical. In, in, I mean, you've got the eyes, the ears, but that's where it stops. Many of us, I think, for the last 16, 18 months, we've done a lot of life online. We've participated in online worship, and I know folks are grateful for that. People show up, they say, even today, two people have said, we've been with you, been online every Sunday. I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for the online option. My family and I have participated in it ourselves when we've been away for the weekend Many people who live far away that we love are participating in this church online, and I love that. But even people who participate every single week online, they say the same thing when they come back. It's so good to be back. That's what they say. 
Uh, we loved being online, but it's just not the same, and it's so good to be back. Why does the online experience feel different? Probably a variety of reasons. Two really quickly is the, re- is the experience is so, the, the, the preparation required for online experience is so limited, Right? There's no leaving one place to go to another. There's no get the kids ready and have some food and get in the car and drive. It's just, it's just there's almost no, there could be preparation, but there rarely is preparation for online worship. Secondly, there, it's, very, it's very limited in physical participation. There could be a lot of physical participation in online worship, but it takes creativity, initiative, leadership, you know, you got to stand up, sit down, get the stuff together in the living room, somehow transition the living room space to a worship space. It's simply, we're just built to have that kind of transition facilitated by the physical spaces. So it's easier when you're able to move from one place to another. Because see, we used to go to church, but now we just turn on church. And that's just different. We used to go to church, now we watch church. We watch church. And that's good as far as it goes. So many reasons I'm grateful that we're able to stream these worship gatherings online. And listen to me, if you are watching online, if you are participating as best as you can online, you're one of the reasons I'm so grateful we're able to do this. You're one of the reasons. I'm so grateful we are able to do this. We didn't do this before the pandemic. We, we had to do it during the pandemic. And we're going to continue to do it after the pandemic because the value is is recognizable. It's, it's undeniable that there's absolute value in providing live access to community and to worship for those who can't physically be here for whatever reason. So there are some good reasons that we can continue to do this and will continue to do this. There's also real liabilities to joining worship through the screen. And it, it just turns out it's difficult to be in relationships as humans when you can't touch people. It, it just turns out that that's the way it is. Like, we're just built for physical relationship. We have bodies. That's what we are made for. So to, it's, it strikes me that to reach the hearts and souls of humanity, even God had to become a human. Even God had to show up physically, right, to communicate this at a level that would be ultimately understood. There's a reason that isolating people from people is a form of punishment. There's a reason that locking somebody up for long enough begins to rob them of their humanity. And the explosion of critical mental health issues that we've seen in the last 18 months of relatively limited connection, I think, is a dramatic display of our need for one another. The critical nature of being with other people, showing up, having people show up in our lives. This is what my spiritual director said to me a couple weeks ago. He said, there is a prophetic energy that drives us to hug a person. There is a prophetic energy that drives us to hug a person. In other words, the truth, friends, that you are loved may be best communicated at the end of the day with a hug. Thousands of words may not do as much good in certain situations as, as just a genuine hug that takes three minutes or three seconds or whatever. It's the power of physical presence. That's what, that's what that is. We're made for it. And despite all of the negative um, 
reference to the physical and the body throughout the history of the church, don't forget that the whole physical body dynamic is sanctified by Christ. He became a human. He became, he took on a real flesh, a real body. It's good. We were made to receive love like this. We were made to need this kind of physical presence. I've listed three passages in your notes where the Apostle Paul talks about his longing to be physically present with brothers and sisters. For the sake of time, I'll just read two of them. The first is in Romans chapter 1. It's on page 782. 782. Paul's writing to the Christians in Rome. This is what he says, beginning in verse 8 of chapter 1. Paul writes, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now. In order that I might have a harvest among you just as I have had among other Gentiles. Paul is longing to be with the Christians in Rome. Turn about 40 pages to your right. This book called, this letter called First Thessalonians, page 824. <clears throat> there's two, there's two letters to the Thessalonians. There's first and second. Turn to First Thessalonians, page 824. Look at chapter 2, verse 8. This is just more of the same. More of Paul revealing his longing to do more than just write letters. Chapter 2, verse 8. Because we loved you so much, Paul writes, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Look down to verse 17 of chapter 2. Brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing... We made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did, again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. And then one more down to chapter 3, verse 9. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy you have, or the, all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other. And for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Simple question. Why does Paul long to be with these other Christians? 
What's behind his longing to be physically present, to see them with his own eyes, to be where they are physically in the same place? Is he lonely? Probably not. Is he a sentimental romantic? If you've read him, you know he's not, right? He's simply living out the core Christian belief of incarnation and church. His ministry is an extension of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, come to be with us. That's incarnation. And then calls us to love and live life with others. That's the church. Paul is legitimately participating in the church. He is legitimately participating in the church by writing letters. I'm so glad he wrote letters. That was all good. Aren't we glad we have his letters? And yet he wants more than that. He longs to be with them physically. He's not content even to just give them the message of the truth. He wants to live the truth with them. In community with them. Through physical presence with them. Face to face, life on life. He knows we were made for this. He knows the power of showing up. He knows the power of putting your whole self in. His life was radically changed when Jesus showed up, right? And more than that, Paul seems to believe that the fullness of the Christian faith is lived out and experienced in community. It's too simplistic to say, that's bad, this is good. What I'm trying to say is we get closer and closer to the heartbeat of the whole Christian thing as we move closer and closer in in physical proximity. That's what I'm saying. There's value in being physically present. We loved you so much, we were delighted, not just to share the gospel, but our lives as well. It's the incarnation and the church. That's what he's talking about, the incarnation and the church. Those are the two beliefs, friends that compel us to gather. There may be seasons and situations that necessitate some sort of adjustment on our gathering. But don't forget that these are the two reasons, at least the two main reasons, that gathering is so important. May we not let go and just see this as an optional thing, ultimately, easily replaced or substituted by something else. We're going to have to figure stuff out, as we have been for a long time already. But we need to hold on to the core of who we are and why we gather. Three questions to wrap up. These are just meant to be sort of, I don't know, self-diagnostic kind of questions. Questions to take home. First question, are you okay to be around people? Or are you willing to be with people? It can be, there's a difference. It can be difficult to see. Some of the loneliest times in my life, I've been around thousands of people. I've been alone in a crowd. I was with a lot of, I was around a lot of people. I wasn't with anybody. Some of the most powerful experiences in my life have been when I've been in a dark place, to be specific, just because it's helpful, I remember being in a hospital in Sacramento when my kid was very sick. Lots of people were praying. I'm so grateful. I'm sure it made a difference. Lots of people were writing cards. Some people came. And I'll never forget that. The leader of our whole church network came and sat with me in the Erickson's motorhome. 
and he was with me, and I needed that, right? There was no substitute for that. Someone showing up. There's a big difference, it turns out, between being around people and being with people. Are you willing to be with people? Second question, this is for parents. And credit um, Leah McKinney, our kids director, she asked me this question this week, and it's, it's, it's moving me. Are you managing your kids? Or are you parenting them? I talked about this last week, how because of the age spread in our family, I'm having to, and now the big kids are gone, I'm having to like center back down and like get back down on the floor and play Legos, right? Ride bikes, do stuff that my son did with my other son. Somebody from our church showed up at my office with a, a box of new Legos and gave it to me this week. <laughs> yeah, and we built them, didn't we? Yeah. Are you managing... Or are you parenting? Are you handing a kid a screen or a chore list? Are you getting on the floor at their level, engaging in their world, their challenges, their perspective? Are you parenting? Last question. I don't know how to delicately ask this, so I tried to be cute and clever, and it just didn't work. So um, here's the question Are you stuck? Are you stuck? So much of life is shut down. So much of life continues to be restricted. I think we've become accustomed to a way of living. We've become a, accustomed to a way of life that will not be easy to leave. Out of an abundance of caution, and I'm not judging whether that's legitimate or not. It probably is. Have, have you found it easier to fall into laziness? I have. I can track it on my phone. My activity in 2020 was significantly lower than my activity in 2019. Have you spent more time on the couch than you used to? With all the legitimate challenges and new stressors that have just influenced our life, have you found yourself choosing the path of least resistance? I have. And I'm now trying and finding it surprisingly difficult to uproot myself from these new patterns of life. Why should I do that at all? Because Christianity calls me to pursue a path of greater adversity because of a higher priority than comfort. That's why. I can't follow Christ and avoid adversity. And the battle is not necessarily somebody threatening to hurt me physically. It's my addiction, my addiction to comfort. So I am simply trying to gently ask, are you stuck? It's understandable if you're stuck. Our whole culture has changed. My appeal is don't, don't get stuck. Don't stay stuck forever. There may be a time when we have to hit the pause where we need to make temporary adjustments as I said earlier, we planned this teaching several months ago when we anticipated COVID being in the rearview mirror and this joyful celebration kicked off with the Olympics of everybody coming back together, physical presence, groups, and everything. And uh, concerns are rising again after a week of really bad COVID news. 
So if that's where we are or if that's where we were, the call is let's not get stuck there. Let's not get stuck there. Getting stuck in a supposedly temporary situation is a real possibility for the church these days. It is a real possibility. We're getting used to things that may not be sustainable, friends, for Christianity over the long haul. We're getting used to things that may not sustain the faith over the long haul. It may be more challenging than we think to get off the couch or to climb out of the rut of least resistance in order to fully practice our Christian faith, incarnation, and, and, and church. Friends, in some places where Christian gathering, where Christ, gathering for Christians has been outlawed, the church has just faded through history. In other times when the church gathering has been outlawed, the church has gone underground and it's grown and it's thrived. But that's because Christians have chosen, have chosen a path of greater adversity because of a higher priority than comfort. Without the incarnation, there is no Christianity. And when the church stops gathering, the church starts fading away. So let's just remember that there's power in showing up putting your whole self in. And, and may we have wisdom and grace to not surrender the power of being physically present in one another's lives. Amen? Amen. God, we ask for great wisdom to know detail-specific situational timing and, and um, ways that we can love each other best and can reflect your love for others best by being physically present. I pray that you would guide us in this process, that um, we would experience the joy of your love as we gather with others, whether it's here in a Sunday morning gathering or in a home group or in other situations. I pray for the ability to push back against things that are becoming normal that aren't healthy for us. Wisdom to know what is an accommodation and what is actually um, pulling something core out of Christianity that we shouldn't allow to happen in our lives. Um, we need your help. We pray for protection and grace. Wisdom to care for those who are sick be effective in this culture for your glory. Amen.